What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. Here we are. Coming at you from A Little More Good Studios, a.k.a. Dean's Kitchen. Yeah. Keep it cozy. You know, you always got it. It's, it's nice to have like a little homey feel to the pod. It's good. Just uh, in case anybody out there, you know, thought that we were some sort of you know, fancy studio. I guess maybe that's why we don't have YouTube because then I have to like clean my house. Much, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh man, set up cameras? Nah. Letting them behind the curtain here. It's true. Yeah. So if you hear, you know, the neighbors or a little dog or an Amazon delivery person walking up the walk there next door, uh, then, you know, that's just life. We're just keeping it real. That's right. Really real. Really super duper real. Like the realest. All right. <laughs> well, speaking of real, we had one of the realest guests. Dude, human connection specialist. Ooh wee. That what a title, hey? Like I love that. Who wants to be a CEO when you could be when you could be a human connection specialist? That's way better. Yeah. And it really like that's we should all be striving to to be that. Like in terms of friendships, relationships, connections is just being like, yeah, I wanna I wanna specialize in like being with people being, you know, with them in in like healthy, meaningful, connected and attached ways. Like that's awesome. So we get into a lot on this podcast. Mark, I mean, I think you should all follow Mark Groves. That's who we're talking about. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Mark Groves, the one and only. Um, his work is is incredible. Like, I think people like Mark represent um, what we hope for in the world in many ways, where he's, you know, teaching the things that we might not learn in school. He teaches, you know, love, the languages of love, fear, deconstructing our fear and, and understanding relationships with ourselves, with others, you know, the deep, meaningful things that um, connect us and strengthen relationships and are really the foundation of, of the human existence. Mm-hmm. These are the things that, uh, you know, we, we reflect on in the high times and the low times is like, what are your relationships like? How do you communicate? Uh, how does, how do you show up for your community? How do they show up for you? And it's, it's all based on, on that human connection. So we get in turning, we get into turning mess into magic and, and healing, healing from division and, um, creating the impossible. We, you know, we expect so little when we think about what is possible and we explore this and try to get to a point where we expect anything is possible. And, creating boundaries and exploring shadow areas like shame and fear and vulnerability and how we use old relationship tools and patriarchal tools to define, you know, modern marriages and relationships and how we need to redefine these things. So it's a fun, all encompassing conversation that I think is absolutely important for everybody. Yeah, totally. I, I think Mark, like part of his magic is that he wants to live a life that's like full out and you know to to kind of leave this earth with no regrets and when you live that way uh, especially when you're someone who's you know open to share like the journey that you're on and that it hasn't always been like the smoothest path for, path forward it makes you someone who is able to connect with people and people are able to listen to and connect cuz you're sharing out of authenticity and you're not just sharing like the highlight reel of the wins but like oh here's some of the struggles and and how those you know shaped me and helped me and you know also were were hard and and I think that that's part of Mark's story and what he's always sharing about and uh yeah just someone who has a lot of good things to say from from good, meaningful experiences and wants to use his story to help others. And uh, yeah, I love it. But you got some of his cards here. Got some of his cards. Here's a couple highlights and then I want to get into his cards. 
Um, love nutrition finance. This is what kids should be learning at school. Mm. The opposite of trauma is choice. Breakups are one of the most potent vehicles for transformation. I think that's like a magic one because people think like it's all over, but breakups are one of the most potent vehicles for transformation. Rock bottoms are chances to meet ourselves. I love that. Yeah. Rock bottoms are chances to meet ourselves. Fear can be interwoven with love, fear of commitment, betrayal, heartbreak, deconstructing fears to understand love. Relationships are a reflection of our limitations. Isn't that true? So good. Relationships are a reflection of our limitations. Um, one of the hardest questions that we should go through is, should I stay or should I go? That's that's a big one, whether that's a job, a habit, a relationship, you know. Should I stay or should I go? Anyways, okay, we've got create the love cards, curated questions designed to spark meaningful communication and strengthen relationships. It is a dating and relationship deck, so fun for first dates, second dates, you know, anniversaries, 10-year marriages, and beyond to kind right. of re-spark that spark or spark it for the first time. So I thought for some fun, Dean and I can light some sparks together and, see what happens. and explore our love for each other. <laughs> okay. Pull. Okay. We'll I want to pull a card. I'm pulling random here, so it could, it could get weird, friends. We'll see what you got. Okay. I'm going to pass it to you so you can pull one after. Okay. Let's got do it. a couple. Got it. Oh, wow. Okay. Dean, we're, we're getting into the nitty gritty here. Okay. How do you feel about porn and its effect on intimacy? Ooh, that's a good question. I feel like it is, uh, it is an intimacy like killer. I feel like one of the things about porn that is so harmful is that it creates unrealistic expectations of bodies, of people, of like what is supposed to be happening in moments of intimacy. And it turns something that is like really broad and enormous intimacy into something that is like so one dimensional, which is just sex. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's one of the, honestly, I think it's one of the most harmful things in our society that is like running rampant. Um, Cause like anyone with a smartphone and a Wi-Fi connection can access it and can access stuff that like, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, like you wouldn't be able to find or see. Um, And so, yeah, I I think it's honestly, like I think it is not a healthy, good thing at all. Like I'm for like being body positive and, you know, all of that. But the research is there. Like you don't have to, you don't have to look very far to see like it's not good for us. So I think it is not a, it is not a tool for intimacy at all. I think it it is, uh, it can ruin it. There you go. Okay. We should probably do an episode on, on porn on yeah. some point. And then it's effect on, you know, obviously women and, and men both watch and participate in porn. But um, I think it's very degrading for young men's minds. And, and uh, like you talked about, their expectations and perception of, of what sex looks like and what, you know, bodies look like. But also, like, thinking back to when we were kids, not to always, like, romanticize our youth over the youth today, but, like, you know, you would, like, maybe take a peep at a magazine at 7-Eleven for, like, five seconds or, like, try to find, like, your dad's stash under the bed somewhere. Shout out, dad, for your stash. (laughs) (laughs) 
but it would uh, like magazines would leave room for imagination you know where yeah. like you created a scenario or a fantasy in your own head and it wasn't like uh you were just kind of watching something that can desensitize you to human connection yeah. to to what reality is for the majority of people so yeah, yeah. and it's crazy go. when you think about like what you know those magazines were showing is that's like on like almost on daytime tv now oh yeah like how far how much further things have gone and like part of that again could be argued like oh it's positive because you know sex positive and this and that and it's it's not it's not shaming or shying away and like that's not what i'm trying to say at all but at the same time like it's it's one of the markers of society moving towards like a hypersexualized thing and i think that like the porn industry is driving it not to mention we could go down this rabbit hole but maybe it is worthy of an episode and someone who actually is maybe more of an expert but not to mention the unbelievably horrific connection between like porn internet porn and human trafficking like that that is not a potential correlation like that is a direct link that um you know people say oh it's harmless like it's a i'm single like i'm not in a relationship but like those people are human beings right and not all of them are there by their own will or consent and human trafficking is a huge huge part of that reality so anyway all right i think we'll explore this more on on like a uh, episode that we kind of focus on to this because I think it's a big topic. Yeah, but shout out to Mark for uh, these cards that that spawn uh, important conversations. So you can think Absolutely. right there. We just started a, a meaningful dialogue. You could do that with your partner, with your friend, whatever. So these cards that he's created are fun. Okay, here's one that's uh, I pulled that is maybe a bit of a left turn from that. But what are silly household pet peeves that you have? So he says like examples would be like toilet paper up, oh, missing yeah. toilet paper roll, messing with a the thermostat. So on and so forth. Oh yeah. What got, are your What I, are your I household got, pet peeves? I've got a lot, man. <laughs> I've got a lot. <laughs> All right. Shout out to to my family here yeah. for you know allowing me to explore these pet peeves like and poking the wasps and uh, understand what triggers me and know that there's uh, you know if I dig into those triggers there's learning opportunities within these pet peeves. So uh, um, I I get annoyed when all the cupboards are left open mm. you know just close close the darn cupboard <laughs> um and lights are i like to turn off the lights when i leave a room you know so i often find that most of the lights are not turned off so i'm the light light turner offer <laughs> that's my big one yeah honestly just, just turn off the light i marched uh I, I marched julie up to her room one time and i was like i want to show you something and she's like oh okay and she because she's all excited and follows me upstairs and i was like do you see this and like i pointed to her light switch and she kind of looks puzzled she's like yeah i was like watch it goes off as well as on and she just like rolls her eyes and goes back downstairs it's like tell the rest of them because <laughs> it seems like in my family the white light switches only work in one direction oh, as no, well we need the little post-it memos next to the lights <laughs> on off on off not that we're perfect no okay i'm sure there's at least one time i've done something that hasn't been <laughs> everyone's liking no. it may, maybe one time okay we're not perfect i know almost. i guess uh part of this might be uh accepting those that you love for for yeah. the you know the many qualities that they that they share as well i remember listening to uh 
Dak Shepard and like uh, the cupboards was one for him too. And the, he used to like, that would be like the gateway to fights for him and his wife, like mm. start with the cupboards. And then it would just like open up Pandora's uh, jar or whatever for like what would turn into like a big fight. And he's like, as soon as I just accepted that the cupboards were open, they weren't going to get closed and it didn't take much time for me to close them. We stopped having all these big fights. So there's like another perspective as yeah. well. Well, it's just thing. It's like, it's good to be needed, right? Yes. So like, if they didn't have me, the lights would just forever be on and, um, you know, the, the electricity bill would be fine and they'd be burning out light bulbs. So it's like, it's good to be, it's good to be needed. Okay, let's do one more. Okay. Let's do one more. Um, okay, this is like a fun, they're all fun. There's like so many different, uh, I mean, we didn't get to the ones that are foreplay, so maybe that's a good thing. I actually looked at the back of that one that I just asked you. It was it was a foreplay question. Okay. It was all interesting. Right. All right, we're just getting warmed up then, pet, my friend. Pet peeves will lead you to maybe some good things. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. I'll have to change that's up. because I pulled it and I was like, oh, oh here we go. And then I was like, oh, okay. Try a different strategy. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be great. Hey, Megan, what, what do I do that bugs you? Yeah. That's for sure. Just definitely be in the mood Gonna after work. that. <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe it's like the airing of grievances, and then it's like, all right, come on. All right. Over. You still love me, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, this one's actually, this one's foreplay too. So, okay. Lighthearted questions to spark a connection, whether That's you're it. on a first date, having fun with friends, or reminiscing with your long time. You know what? That's a good point, though, because not all foreplay is sexual. Yes. Boom. There we go. Get, get my mind out the gutter. Ever the teacher. All right, Dean. Some foreplay for you coming okay. at you hot. Go to your happy place in your mind and describe it. Where are you? Who are you with? And what does it feel like? Oh, man. I feel like my happy place is like just somewhere, somewhere sunny and warm, you know? And like my first, my first instinct, I think, is just to be like, I'm just alone. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know? But sweet, then I also. Sweet solitude. Yeah. But I also think like that there's nothing better than like, uh, you know, being somewhere like beachside where the sun is on your skin, your feet are in the sand. You can hear the waves and you can hear like the kids running around and playing or like playing with them. I think that'd be my happy place. There we go. Yeah. A beach somewhere in like Southern California or All right. somewhere tropical. How about you? Ooh, I think, um, I mean, it's not too, too different, but I just love being on the Gulf Islands here in mm, BC. You yeah. know, Pender Island's my happy place specifically. And I just like, it's got that combo of, you know, the beaches and nature so close to forests and, and, and grasslands. And it's just like, it smells like nature everywhere there, you know, it smells like so fresh and so good. And, I feel like I'm like disconnected from technology when I'm there and I kind of return to uh, a simpler, simpler way of living, you know, just being with my family, good food, nature time. It's just perfection to me. So that's, that's my happy place. Sweet. I love it. All right. Should we uh, let this kind of uh, roll on to the master himself, the human connection specialist, Mark Groves? Let's turn it over to him. All right. On to this week's episode. 
All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. We're really excited for today's conversation. We're sitting down with the one and only Mark Groves, a human connection specialist. He's a host of his own podcast, the Mark Groves Podcast, co-founder of Feel Felt and creator of Create the Love Cards, which we were just kind of flashing around here before we hit record. Um, Mark, we're so excited to catch up with you today. Uh, Thankful for the work you do in the world and thankful for you carving out some time to chat with us about all of the ways we can be more connected to ourselves to the people around us and ultimately like the world around us and bring a little bit more love and connection um, wherever we go so thank you for the work you do and for being here with us today oh my god so excited to be here connect back to some uh, vancouver brethrens this sounds epic it's always good. It's always good when you have that shared sense of like the the Pacific Northwest, you know, the West Coast rugged beauty, epic uh, rain throughout all the year, but then the amazing spring and summer that we often get here. And, and Zach and I are, are here experiencing one of those beautiful sunny May days today. It feels like summer out there. Oh man, I love it there. I also find Vancouver and the Pacific Northwest to just be like when you walk through the forest there, it's pretty hard to deny the miraculous nature of life, you know? It's so explicit. Like, it's on display, you know, and the trees and the smells and the moss and the birds and, it's, and the cherry blossoms. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Yeah, we're in cherry blossoms, blossom season right now. And, uh, yeah, I agree, Mark. Like, uh, I think if your eyes are open, uh, there's awe to be seen everywhere, you know, everywhere in the world. But, uh Beauty is on full display here in Vancouver right now, so it's it can incredible. it can light you up uh, from from the inside out and kind of strike that that feeling of of love for where we are. And uh, I know you're you're kind of the the love man, the love doctor. And I think um, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of thought of Austin Powers when I said love doctor. There for <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> Oh, you honey. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to go in a different direction in this conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gonna... Not really, though. Don't answer that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might, might surprise some listeners. We'll see here. <laughs> Anyways, Austin Powers aside, um, you know, relationships and love are kind of the core pillars of, of what we all are and what we all need in our lives, you know. Um, and I think as kind of a starting point for this this conversation uh one thing you've you've spoke on which i loved and and um kind of pondered on myself is turning mess into magic and i love i love just that visual of of like seeing a mess seeing mm-hmm. something tangled and and finding the magic in that and when i reflect on that you know we we're talking about the past, you know, three years, we went through a global pandemic where we were divided um, and we're kind of relearning human connection coming out of this, you know, retraining our social habits, uh, dealing with new anxieties, dealing with, you know, possible depression or, or feelings of isolation. We've kind of lost some of that sense of connection, some of that sense of relationship, some of that sense of love. So, Maybe uh, as a starting point, we can we can kind of dive into healing uh, division from the past three years, and then we can get into to relationships, self love, you know, Austin Powers, all that other stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, what a great place to start, and certainly no small endeavor. Um, I think 
What's happened from a technological perspective in the last three years is there's been a massive amplification of digital connectedness, you know, Zoom meetings and all that kind of stuff, which is incredible because it's been able to allow life to continue in the ways that it could and have conversations like this, you know, and at the same time, you know, it's incredibly exhausting to be looking at people's faces all the time on Zoom calls. I remember reading a study that was done on why there's exhaustion from Zoom and Google Meets and all that kind of stuff. It's because in a conversation, we're used to looking around a room and not focusing just on the face. But because we're on meetings all day doing that, that actually causes psychological exhaustion, which made sense. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people can attest to that, not to mention also just the uh, a massive amount of circulating fear and anxiety, which um, of course creates, uh, uh, it causes people to become more connected to beliefs and ideologies that make them feel less afraid. Mm. And, and I think the, the experience of the last three years has been fascinating probably for everybody. You know, our, we were, from a media perspective, confronting death, you know, like that was constantly death counts, case counts, all that kind of stuff. And what I experienced, and it might be different for other people, but what I experienced was then, you know, the, if, if people didn't sign up for every aspect of the solution, then there was division, you know, then there was, if you got in the way of the potential solution to me handling the anxiety of my mortality or impending mortality, then I'm going to have to push you away. It's interesting because in Canada, I don't think we really experienced this as much from a political perspective historically. Like if you look at the US, that's something Canadians had talked about, like, oh, Trump, 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 right? Uh, what I found too, like knowing so many Americans, I'm curious your guys' experience, is that I know I knew so many liberal Democratic Americans, and they, for the most part, totally despised Donald Trump, which I can understand. His personality is not exactly a charismatic, catchy guy. Um, but what I found really interesting is that families would just cut off somebody. And because I wasn't attached to the pol politics of it, I was always like, oh, well, that's interesting. Like, here's someone you love and someone that you felt connected to your whole life. And now you're just going to discard them? Like, that's interesting because of what you believe about them because of who they are politically feeling some sort of connection to. And why can't we ask them why? Like, what is it about that p political perspective that appeals to you? Because it must have be something in your human experience that's drawing you. Um, and I found that that got amplified a lot in Canada, the same political thing. I think it's really amplified uh, right now um, with uh, Justin Trudeau. And I, I think also this got correlated to the political ideologies or wings got correlated to whether you get vaccinated or not, what you believe about the pandemic. And what I found really fascinating although a bit scary is that there seems to have been a real dismissal of dialogue like curiosity compassion understanding and i understand that like i do get that that's what occurs when people are afraid um and the only way to really heal division is to first acknowledge that it exists and then to ourselves extend the bridge 
to whatever we're opposed to or whatever we've pushed away, whatever is, I guess, um, you know, uh, has a, whatever is, I guess, the opposite of our perspective or feelings. We seem to be in a place where we're not really curious about a lot of things. And I think um, because of cancel culture too, let's just add another thing in there, uh, that has made it so people are very afraid to even discuss things. And uh, that's had a tremendous impact on our relationships, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think back to when I was a kid, just reflecting on, on listening to you here and it was very normal to have dinner conversations that, you know, I listened to as a kid with uncles and aunts and neighbors and, you know, whoever was coming over and have a, a large variation of perspectives at that dinner table. Like it was, it was rare for everyone to have the same opinion. And that was kind of accepted, you know, like it was, it right. was, it was normal to have an uncle that was a Republican an uncle that was a Democrat an uncle that, you know, thought this way or that way. And, you know, we'd all Always just, we just, yeah, maybe a couple of ants in there too, <laughs> but it was, it was normal to have different opinions. And, um, I feel through social media, it's like, it's been amplified to kind of follow the same, you know, if you, if you are an athlete or you're politically inclined this way, like everything you do has to align with that one perspective. Yeah. Um, and I totally agree with you. Like, um, one pillar that Dean and I share is, you know, curiosity and wanting to be proven wrong. Like kind of having that, like almost that hypothesis scientific method that we were learned back and, you know, going back to childhood again in high school science class of like trying to prove yourself wrong all the time. So like kind yeah. of seeking, seeking being wrong, seeking a different perspective, um, wearing curiosity as as your main way of thinking versus uh, righteousness or certainty because, I mean, the only thing that I'm certain about is that everything always changes yeah. and uh, perspective usually evolves with time. So um, I'm hoping because I think things were, lines were being forced upon us by those news articles and social media and people were very angry and divisive. I'm hoping that we can return to that curiosity and open-mindedness to exploring uh, or even seeking other other opinions on things so that life can be interesting. It's so boring if we all think the same, dress the <laughs> yeah, same, right. walk the same. Like we wouldn't be having this podcast or conversation with you know, we'd just be kind of doing it solo all the all the time because we'd be like, "We're right," you know. So, I I <laughs> kind of uh, just want to echo your sentiment that let's return to curiosity and let's return to like proving ourselves wrong and being open to knowing better, doing better, and constantly changing our minds and opinions on things. So, I think the only way to to heal this is you know dean and i have talked about this turning turning walls into bridges and kind of meeting mm -hmm. meeting somewhere on that bridge yeah what a beautiful thing to extend someone a question that humanizes them again I, I never thought like i don't know how many times you guys said this but i said a number of times in the last three years that would never happen in canada <laughs> and then it would happen and i would continue to be sort of shocked you know, what's fascinating too is I, I used to be a pharmaceutical rep. I was in the industry for 14 years and I've always been 
I've always questioned things, been curious about the science, reading it. And my behavior didn't change, but the tolerance of curiosity changed. And um, I think that was modeled through media, that was modeled through public health, that asking questions is dangerous, that questioning the answer to the way out of this is dangerous. And I, again, I don't care what anyone chooses. I just found that that to be a really unhealthy way to find a solution to anything. Like, as you were mentioning, too, is like, it's at the core of all our relationships is the necessity for diverse thought. Is the, I mean, we don't agree with our partners on everything. That's certainly true. And that's actually good. You know, and it's, it's been very challenging in that without dialogue, there is not actually a deeper truth that's discovered. And if we believe ours is the only one and we get to just cancel the other one, mm. we're not invited to grow. And yeah, I think we're at a very fascinating cultural time where the tolerance for the lack of dialogue is actually now starting to shrink. And I think you see comedians usually are sort of the edge of cultural movements. And for a while there, they were they were getting canceled, uh, a few for good reasons. But you know, the now you see comedians coming back in and having conversations and making fun of things in society that don't make sense that they're kind of the first ones to do it usually mm-hmm. i don't know if you guys agree with that yeah for sure i, I always uh, equate comedians today as like you know uh, in kind of ancient times we would call them like prophets like people who look at the state of the world and call out like what's absurd or what's mm-hmm. not working and kind of raise awareness and oftentimes i mean if depending on your tradition you know if you look in the in the hebrew text or in like the old testament of the bible like a lot of a lot of prophets ended up in in not such a great fate uh, you know so <laughs> maybe true. maybe cancel culture is an upgrade from what used to happen to people who pointed out the yes. <laughs> pointed out the absurdities of the world but yeah it's fascinating that i, I would 100% agree with you that oftentimes those are the ones that are that are kind of uh, helping us see maybe with uh, turn the gem, so to speak, and look at the same thing, but in a different way and perhaps ask a question kind of under the guise of laughter, right? Well, I can't remember who it was, but one, one of the great kind of comedians had this, this, uh, this saying where it was like, if you, if you make someone laugh, you open them up to, to start to think and start to ask questions, mm. right? Because you're kind of in this vulnerable state of, of laughter and then it opens you a little bit. And then you can be like, oh yeah, wait, wait a minute and start to ask like, why is that funny? Why do we act that way, say those things, behave in this way? And yeah, I find it interesting too, as you kind of highlighted the, the division and you know, that people would be so quick to like cut off a member of their family um, and side with like an ideology, like a, a, a whether it's a political side or, you know, what I believe to be the right choice or the right thing to do in any given scenario. And we have this kind of uh, heightened sense of if you disagree with me, you're not just like wrong, in my opinion, but you are also therefore a bad person. And I think we saw a lot of that where people were writing off other human beings for a decision or for asking questions or for becoming curious or for not sharing the same views. And this could be any, any political or kind of big item in our, in our world that, that people talk about and have division over politics, religion, all this kind of stuff. But to say, it's not just okay to have a different opinion anymore, but if your opinion is different for me, like you're a bad person. 
And I mean, that yeah. goes into, I think, a lot of what we need to do to heal those relational wounds. And that, that whole perspective, I think, needs to shift, right? Where it's not, we can disagree and it doesn't invalidate you as a person. It doesn't make you someone who's worse than me. And like, how do we start to bridge that gap when maybe you disagree with someone and you don't want to just write them off, but that's kind of what you're experiencing. How do you extend all of branches or bridges to people who maybe are entrenched or closed off? I mean, you're speaking to my soul with this because, you know, the, what was used in terms of the language of public health and politicians was the moralizing of choices most people don't even know that that's happening. Like the terms like do it for each other. We've got each other's back. Those those were basically universally used sentences, which shows you that there was a strategy to language. Um, and, And that's actually a positive thing. Generally, you know, public health uses what are called nudge tactics, which are psychological tactics to change behavior. And that can be great when it's things like recycling or things like potentially getting vaccinated. Um, but what happens is when you moralize a choice, you now create a hierarchy. And as you're saying, it's not just you're hesitant, it's you're actually a bad person because you're not doing what I'm doing because I'm doing it because I'm a good person. And that seems to have creeped also, I mean, I'm a lifetime liberal until recently because I just can't, I, I feel politically homeless because I'm like, I can't find comfort in some of the language that is used from both sides. I mean, it always is about from the far right, but from the far left now, and I hate even using those terms because in doing that, I'm now creating a polarity, which I am conscious of. And I find that the language that is often used by that left-leaning is doing good. And this also couples with the research on virtuosity, which shows that if someone presents as being virtuous, like wants to desire as being seen as good, which I think people generally believe they are good, right? Inherently. And so if I can choose something that will allow you to instantly see that I'm on the same side as you, I will present that thing. And if I can do it by putting it in my bio on Instagram or taking a picture with the Band-Aid on my arm, you know, all that kind of thing, I'm presenting to you what are the, what are my likely values? And so that's also what amplifies tribalism. You know, that's what amplifies these ideologies. Uh, And there's many examples for any ideology. But what I find is so interesting is they're so coupled. You know, it's like, if you do make this choice, if you do this thing, you're a good person. If you don't, now anything that's not that is considered bad. But man, I, out of all the people I know, I don't know anyone on the far extremes. I just know people who are trying to use their voice, but they actually live in this deep complexity of the middle. But the middle has been canceled because if you want to question something, you're seen as against it. And that is a brilliant strategy to not have to have your beliefs challenged. So if you're the one in charge of the language that's being used, it's brilliant. Unfortunately, the cost of moralizing something, which has been done heavily in the last three years, 
uh, the cost of it is immense because now families are divided based on the idea that if you believe in that candidate or you believe that thing or you don't, then now you're just not good. And I mean, I experienced that in my in my friendships and family that me questioning things meant I was selfish. And I was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. How did we get here? I don't know what psychologically was the reason some people maintained objectivity and others don't like i'm not sure where the the how we get captured in that specifically and it can happen on any subject so you know it's it it happens on the other side too of course hey friends just interrupting the episode to share about our latest and greatest skincare routine that we're on this summer with caldera lab it's amazing we're on the regimen we know that uh, skincare matters. It's 2023. We got to be looking after ourselves. And Caldera Lab makes it easy to look after your skin. I know sometimes it can be overwhelming with all oh, moisturizers and all of these things, but let's break it down. The regimen includes three products, the clean slate, the base layer, and the good. Clean slate starts and ends your day. It's a face wash that leaves all skin types feeling refreshed. The base layer is your daily moisturizer to hydrate your skin and jumpstart your day full of confidence. And honestly, I love the base layer. It feels so good when I put it on. It absorbs right in. It's honestly the best. And the good is your go-to multifunctional serum. At first, I was like, I don't know if I need a serum. But then you put it on and literally within minutes, you're like, my face looks so much better. It gives you a tighter and smoother look is reducing the visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. And what's crazy is that every drop of the serum is packed with 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin. So you got to get on it. The regimen, it's so easy. It's like a minute, two minutes of your life in the morning in the evening and it just works well it makes you feel good caldera lab is the leader in men's skincare made with only top tier ingredients and clinical trials have found that 94 percent of men's skin showed an overall younger looking appearance after using it for just a few weeks all right so you're going to want to get on it and we have an exclusive offer which is honestly their best offer available anywhere Go to the website, calderalab.com, and use our code MOREGOOD for 20% off right now. That's right, 20% off with code MOREGOOD at calderalab.com. And make unforgettable first impressions that lead to people saying, man, you look good. You know you want that. 20% off at calderalab.com with our code MOREGOOD. Check it out, friends. Today's episode is brought to you by AG1. We love AG1 because when we drink it, we know it is our foundational nutritional supplement that delivers comprehensive nutrients for the whole body health. AG1 really replaces all of your multivitamins, probiotics, and more in one simple and delicious drinkable habit. It's science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients is going to support your health. We love it. We drink it every day. It's part of our morning ritual. We know that when we drink it, we've got our daily nutritional needs met. It has 75 high-quality vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients. Honestly, I can't think of another daily routine that pays off as well as AG1, which is why I trust this product so much and literally use it every day. We love AG1. If you are looking for a simpler, effective investment in your health, try AG1 and get five free AG1 travel packs and a year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. All you got to do 
is go to drinkag1.com slash more good. That's drinkag1.com slash more good. Check it out, friends. I think you kind of nailed this one of the solutions. I think there's always many solutions at the very beginning of this conversation was when you talked about curiosity. Because I think if we're curious about other people, people's opinions, it's gonna it's gonna create those bridges instead of those walls. If I'm like asking, you know, oh, why why do you think that way, or why is this important to you, or what made you question that, or you know, if instead of being like, you know, pointing fingers and getting angry and you know creating that divide, if if you can start with curiosity in a compassion sense, I think. I think we'll quickly learn with what you're just saying that, you know, we're all, most of us are in that, that middle, you know, there's not a lot of far right and there's not a lot of far left. And those are the loud vocal voice, uh, voices yeah. that kind of make headlines. And if you go far enough left and you go far enough, right, they kind of meet in the middle and they sound the same, mm-hmm. uh, complete the circle. As I was just kind of thinking as you're talking, like, um, if we kind of changed the scenario here, like, um, you know, if I was in business and I'm, I'm asking critical constructive questions and it increases the bottom line or the profit, you know, that's good. If I'm like trying to have a baby, there's a lot of ways to, to explore fertility. You know, some people happens right away. Other people, maybe they see an acupuncturist, other people, maybe they, you know, study circadian rhythm. Other people will see, uh, you know, their, their, you know, family doctor. There's like a million and two ways that you could explore fertility and they all lead in the same direction. So I think like knowing that, you know, there can be many rivers that lead to an ocean, uh, but they're all leading to the same ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're not curious and open-minded to those other rivers, we might not realize that we're all kind of going to the same outcome, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that uh, that willingness to think that my path isn't the only path. Yes. Which, man, you know, when I think about the first sort of awakening that I had, it was because I stepped off the path of get married by this age, have kids by this age, and if you don't, you're broken. Yes. And if you don't study this thing at university, if you don't... You know, we all, I guess, have our versions of the narratives of the lives we're supposed to live. I mean, I couldn't imagine being 18 today and the complexity of what you have to navigate in terms of how you want to express in terms of gender, you know, like all these things that are adding so much complexity to it. You know, I, I, that paradox of choice, I think it's by... um uh, Barry Schwartz, I think is his name. Um, just that as we have more choices, we end up, you know, more frozen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think choice is a good thing. And at the same time, it's like, oof, how do you choose when you believe that you're giving up something when you choose another? Uh, much like I look at everything that's occurred in the last three years and I'm like, there is so many gifts in this. Like there must be, they haven't all come to fruition, but this all was necessary. And I think as we embark on a deeper technological relationship, which is going to be really fascinating, especially its impact on relationships and AI and all that kind of stuff. I really feel like as humans, we're going to, reach a Y in the road and one version of humanity is going to go towards the singularity and the other is going to go towards a farm. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. 
That's so funny. Um, or maybe both. I don't know. Digital yeah. farming. Dean and I were like literally sitting on a farm talking about this the other day. We're like, I feel like we're going in two, like we're going to go in one direction. Either we're like all AI or we're going to go live on a commune. Right. right? And like harvest our own food and, you know, take our shoes off and connect with the earth. And there's going to be these two. That'll be the new, that'll be the new division. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy though. Cause you think about it. That's a common conversation now. Like yeah. that's that farming, getting your hands in the soil, getting back to nature, um, digital detoxes. There is a desperation in our souls to get back to cell to cell, not digital, but like biological cells, get back to that type of connection because the level of anxiety that we're experiencing, the level of division, the level, it's all so amplified because of technology and because we're not grounding. Mm. We're not touching our feet on the soil. We are not sitting and hugging trees. We are not looking at each other in the eye. We are looking at our phones and texting each other. And because of that, we feel more disconnected, more absent. We have more autoimmune. We have got, we're not better than we were 50 years ago in the advent of, or the uh, high investment in allopathic medicine. Like, sure, we had big leaps, and there are some things that can be credited for that. But you look now, and it's like, we're not healthier. And people know that. People feel that. And, and there's something has to change. Yeah, it's fascinating, like, in the kind of day-to-day, we just keep our heads down, and we're doing our thing. And we see, oh, now there's, you know, ChatGPT and all of this AI. And then there's, you know, before that, it was smartphones and Google and all of these things. And, and they're just these technologies that keep on, you know, rolling out, and they're newer and better. And we live at a time, you know, those of us in like the Western world, for sure. But like, we live at a time when we've never had more access to information. We've never yeah. known, like now you can literally chat, t- type into, you know, these new AI search engines, um, workout plan, meal plan, healthy living plan. Oh yeah, I've seen and it that. Will, it will give it to you in 30 seconds. Like their information is not the problem. We know what we need to do and we have access to all the technology. We have online trainers. You can just watch all of the workout videos on YouTube and yet with all of that stuff, it's like if we pause and actually zoom out, we're, most people would say we're we're the least healthy we've ever been. There's an obesity epidemic. There is like depression and anxiety are are rampant among young people. Like children who's never never had experienced these things before are being diagnosed in in frightening numbers, really, and yeah. living these lives where again, like there's this weird counterintuitive like we're more connected than ever before and yet we're more disconnected than we ever have been in the history of our species and if we don't hit pause on that and start to ask some curious and critical questions i think the the deleterious effects of all of this are going to be huge in the next 10 15 20 years not to mention in the immediate here and now especially when it's not welcome to be called out you know, like these conversations need to be happening in schools, you know, uh, all it, I, I think it is, a, we are at a turning point, because the capacity for the lack of dialogue is it a max, and at least in my experience, um, in the overt digitization of everything, you know, it is endless. If you take a week off your phone, 
your heart rate variability will go up. It's almost guaranteed. Like the 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 variability between your heart rates, which is predictive of between your heartbeats for people listening, is predictive of your vagal nerve tone, which is your nervous system being in rest and digest. That's important. We have to be in that. If we're constantly reading the news and checking our phones and doing all that, we're in fight, flight, freeze. We're not able to just be. I mean, it's it, it just we have to be hitting a capacity for this, you know, like, as you're saying, young people are getting anxiety, depression, they're getting all these things that is correlated. The book um, Coddling of the American Mind, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff, they talk about all the generational and experiential things that have occurred that have created today where we can't have hard conversations. People do not have the capacity to disagree. Why? And they correlate the immense growth in anxiety to social media platforms, to young kids with uh, uh, parents like helicopter parents in the 90s correlated to the advent of smartphones, then social media. I mean, it is, I think Facebook at least seems like it's kind of dying. I, I've heard that there's more dead people on Facebook than alive people. So that's, oh, that's both dark and both positive at the same yeah. time. What is that? Fact check me on that. I'm not positive, but yeah. I've heard that. Wow. Show notes. We'll put in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. So, so to kind of like flip this, I'm I'm kind of I'm interested in two things. Um, like one, like what is what is the evolution of of our human species? And hmm. one thing that I really like that I've I've heard you speak on is that we can have small expectations. We can. When we when we think about what's possible, we can have a very limited belief. But if we're able to flip that, and we're, what if we expect anything is possible? Like what what does that look like? Having limited beliefs versus limitless beliefs, and how do we start to train or evolve that way of thinking? Well, I think who we express ourselves as being is usually adaptive strategies, what we call our personality is usually things that we adapted as children to learn how to be with our families, with the world, to be celebrated, to be safe. You know, so they come generally from good intended places. They just often get in the way of actual connection. You know, we were talking about there's all this knowledge on the internet and yet what the fuck are we doing? You know, it's like uh, I could ask a hundred people, what is the key to successful relationships? And probably like 96 would say communication. And yet out of 96, like 90 would be good at communication because we haven't taken the time. Now you could argue that they didn't teach that in school. So, Hey, we have an out, but for young people today where you can access the internet and learn all that stuff and people at any age, we can learn that stuff. We can become masters of that. And we often live in the prisons of the achievements of the people from our past. So I might say, hey, I want to become this. And someone will say to me, oh, be mindful. Like, what happens if this happens? What? Be careful. Your aunt might not like you anymore if you say that. They're actually speaking to me from the limited framework, right, of their own lives. They're afraid that if I do something, the consequence might be that I don't belong anymore. So they're imparting their fears into me by trying to make me pre prevent me from doing something that they're scared of doing. 
This happens in terms of the lives we live. We talked about earlier, get married by this age, have kids by this, get this fucking job, do this thing. This is what love looks like. Oh, wait, you experienced your parents cheated on each other. They lied. They were bad. Love looks like that. Never fall in love. Instead, build short-term relationships. Enter, you know, Create limits to the capacity for you to love instead of adopting these beliefs and frameworks that we all do unconsciously. Start to actually imagine what you really desire. Like most of the, you know, a good example is I'll talk to someone and they'll say, I don't believe in marriage. And I'm like, cool. How do you define it? You know, like you have two people, one desires marriage, one doesn't. And you say, okay, well, how do you define marriage? Do you not like marriage or do you not approve of marriage or do you not approve of what marriage has been shown to you to be? Words are really just definitions that we agree upon. But if I say the word tree and you say the word tree, we could imagine two different trees. And that would be normal. That'd be totally fair. But unless I ask you questions, I won't know what you're thinking about. We could be thinking about two completely different trees. I've been in the desert, so I've been looking at palm trees. You're in the Pacific Northwest. So you're thinking of Douglas firs, maybe. You know, and that limitation of how we're supposed to live, who we're supposed to be, the capacity of communication what's possible in terms of creating businesses, money, everything is usually inherited and we just live it and we don't question it till we hit a rock bottom. And a rock bottom can be a breakup. And then all of a sudden we're like, why did I tolerate that shit? Why did I do that? Why did I stand for that? We have a job. We end up with anxiety, depression. We don't know what's going on. Why don't we like our job? We should be grateful. We got a job as an accountant at this firm. My God, anyone would kill for that job except for you. you know. And so these rock bottoms wake us up to what is possible for us. I was listening to Ram Dass the other day, and he was saying, I every once in a while have to go back on a Ram Dass kick. And he was saying, imagine if we saw our relationships, if we turn towards our relationships as the pathway to liberation instead of where we stay imprisoned. And I was like, that's it. That's everything. It's like, Relationships to me are the greatest magnifying glass for where you're still imprisoned. And that can be true, though, of any relationship you have. It could be your addictions. It could be food. It could be body. It could be work. But they're all showing you where you're stuck. And when we let go of who we think we have to be, then we can be. And what is fucking wild to me, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, is when we step into that, my experience is that you're taken care of. There's like a weird, like when you're like, this is what I want to do and I'm just going to go for it. I'm not going to quit my job if I still need, you know, like people think that's this romantic idea, but like use your job as the investor in what you want to create. See that you're trading time with that so that you can, you know, hustle from after, after work. But it's like what I found, and I didn't know this till I did it, is someone will say leap and the universe will catch you. And I was like, yeah, sure, That's that sounds great. But it's true. It's weird. It's oddly true. So I'm curious if you agree with that or not. Yeah, I've always... So um, one of my businesses here in Vancouver is the, the juice truck. And, um, you know, we've been around for a while. And like many businesses, ups and downs. Uh, but we've seen a lot of businesses come and go during that time. And my yeah, experience in, in those that make it and those don't, are the ones that just take that leap, you know, like people that keep things 
And I mean, this podcast to us is like um, a passion. It's our side hustle. It's something that we dream to be full time. But the, it's funny, the advice that I've always given to people is like, if it's just your side hustle, it's going to stay your side hustle. You have to. Oh, that's good. You have to commit to something. Um, like the example that I give, there's two ice cream businesses that kind of started at the same time. And one was actually better than the other. But um, one made it and is kind of like the biggest ice cream company here in Vancouver. And the other one, which I think was actually the better ice cream business, she just did it on weekends. She just did it on the side. And it became mm. overbearing to to have this. It kind of became a chore, kind of became a burden versus lighting her up and allowing it to become her expression of, of what she wanted to be. So um, maybe that's a backwards way of agreeing with what you're saying, but I, I do agree. I think if we allow ourselves to be who we want to be, new paths present themselves in exciting, dynamic ways. Uh, doors present themselves that we couldn't see before when we were limiting ourselves to being someone that somebody else wanted us to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Same. Like, I feel like, uh, you know, there's all the kind of like little axioms that we hear, like where attention goes, energy flows and things like that. And so it's like reminding you, okay, where you focus is like what will happen. And I feel like, um, you know, we've talked with people on the podcast before about the idea of manifestation and that for a lot of people, we mistakenly think that's just like a passive thing where I'll just like say, you know, imagine what I want and the universe will just give it to me. But I feel like that, you know, the universe rewards or or God or spirit or whatever we want to say, source, like rewards a little bit of hustle and a little bit of like yeah. ingenuity and effort and intention like brought forward. And and I always think, you know, I, I use this in my own life and with the people that I interact with uh, regularly, I just say like, life is the same for all of us. And I feel like we've all been dealt different cards in different hands. And so we may not start at the same point, but the thing, the fundamental thing that is true is you will get out what you put in. And when Mm -hmm. you start putting in, then yeah, the universe kind of conspires in your favor. And some of the things might take us by surprise. We might not exactly, we might think we're going to take this pathway to get to the thing. And yet all of a sudden there's this side door that opens up. And if you're paying attention and you go through that door out of curiosity and exploration, like usually in my experience, I am where I am in my life because I've had a pathway and I've had a plan and I've started showing up and doing it. But then I've been aware and open to what's this over here and like walking through those doors that open up and exploring them. And those are the moments when I feel like, oh, this is now where I'm supposed to be. And this is working out in a way that I never would have imagined because I was just curious and open and kept moving forward. And so, yeah, I feel like, I mean, it's touching back on, on one of these themes of that that curiosity and that willingness to to explore and see what's different and have a friend of mine, I was at kind of a crux a precipice moment in my life and, you know, trying to figure out what do I do this or this? And he just looked at me and said, well, what if you lived with more curiosity than fear? Mm. And I was like, that was the moment where I decided yeah. because I was like, I know what fear dictates. Fear dictates comfort and the same and routine and curiosity invites something different. And I've always just circled back to that. Like, am I living with more fear or curiosity? And and I mean, I think that when you live in fear, not a lot of good things happen. 
It's not a posture of creativity or generativity no. or openness or welcoming or even like relational connection because we're kind of closed off and, and yeah, cramping down. That's such a good point because you end up being vigilant. And when you're vigilant, which I can understand where it comes from generally, but you're not open, you're not creating, it's not, you know, generative. And that, that ability to be open means we have to trust ourselves. To be able to trust ourselves, we have to go into the unknown and know that we still have our own back. That's something you don't get from a book. Like that's something you have to live. I think it's Abraham Hicks who says, words don't teach, actions do. Like you can know something, but till you do it, you haven't learned it. And I think that's that transfer from knowledge to wisdom, you know, is in implementation, integration. That uh, when I first was starting, I was afraid to record some videos, I remember. And my friend said to me, you can be committed to your dreams or your excuses, but not both. And I was like, ooh, fuck. And my coach at the time, he said to me, uh, how arrogant of you to believe your gifts are for you. Ooh, that's good. And I was like, oh. And he's like, every day you don't start just because you're afraid. You don't get the message to the person who needs it because you're afraid. And I was like, ooh, that's a kicker. And you know what? At that point, I I implemented the rule in my life that as soon as I learn something, I need to change. And so those levels of awareness is demand change they demand responsibility and i think when we can orient to life from that place you know of responsibility of absolute responsibility for what is currently in our life and then what we want to create in it but you can't create what you want in your life if you don't take responsibility for what you're currently saying yes to those are those are not separate experiences because unless you say yes to what you have in your life then you don't believe you're actually responsible for it. And if you don't believe you're responsible for it, you don't believe you can change it. Which, you know, that could be related to anything. Like, my body is the way it is today because of choice I make, choices I make. And obviously, there are exceptions to what I'm saying. But in the context of just, we were talking about the obesity epidemic. That is an inflammatory conversation for a lot of people, and I get it. And it's like, okay, what do I want to do and what do I want to create and who do I want to be and how do I want to feel? We can have all the reasons for why we are in a certain circumstance and it cannot be our fault. And that's important, but it is our responsibility to take control of what we want to create now. Mm. Yeah, and I think that there are always factors that will exist outside of our control, right? That's right. just the reality of the world we live in. Um, and I think that sometimes we conflate the ones that we can control with the ones that are perhaps outside of our control. And then it allows us to sit back and be a passenger in our own life and say, well, none of it, like it's all out of my control. None of it's really my fault or my doing. And while, while some of that may be true, we can also have agency and take control over the things that we can affect and we can change. And I think that that's where we do ourselves a disservice. And, and again, like to your point of, you know, the gifts that you have being utilized for others, like when we are not the best version of ourselves, like we're not showing up for our partners and our families and our communities in the best way possible and elevating the people around us. And 
when we live in a way where we feel good and we feel excited, like know better, do better, you want to share that information. It's like finding a new artist that you love. You want to tell all your friends and people like, you got to listen to this person. It's amazing. This album is so good. Like when we discover those things in ourselves, like we ought to have the same passion and enthusiasm for sharing with the people that we, that matter most to us. Hey, I discovered this thing and it's really helping me. I feel like a better version of myself, right? Not that you need to be better, but like try this. This really helps me and and we can again like collectively raise raise our humanity to a place where we're more connected and more trusting with one another and more open to one another which is ultimately going to benefit everyone the whole the whole the society i i think just kind of jumping on that too like talking about things we can control versus things we can't control and taking ownership i love what you said uh we can either be committed to our dreams or our excuses and, you know, circling back to anger, division, all of this stuff. I think a lot of those those relationships are with things that we can't control. Like I see people like scrolling Twitter angry all the time. Um, are like That's got to be the angriest platform. The, Twitter's yeah. definitely, it's just a yeah. bunch of people yeah. yelling at each other. And it's all, you know, put down the Twitter. You're not going to control, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about politics and stuff like that. We can't control what politicians do. You know, yeah, we can use our democratic voice to to lobby for one way or the other, but we can't control going for a walk in the forest, going for a run, picking up the phone and calling someone that we love and telling them that we love them. Um, I know you talk about relationships are a reflection of our limitations. And I think about I think about those relationships like um I remember reading like you are the average of the five people you spend the most time mm. with. And and that can you can kind of macro that out to you know you are the content that you're digesting, so just being like mindful and aware of of that circle. Like, are you with people that are giving you life or taking you life? Is your 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 online diet of things that you're absorbing are they giving you life or taking your life? Are they making you angry or filling you with love and hope and joy and possibility and curiosity? Or are they just like creating that that doom scroll, uh, doom scroll, um, that division, that divisiveness, that anger, kind of that that chaos? Um, I think if we can be aware of that and think about that, our relationships are a reflection of our limitations. We can start to become that limitless by surrounding ourselves with aspirational people aspirational kind of diet of, of things we're watching, you know, maybe we're watching documentaries or Ted Lasso on repeat instead of, uh, so you know, watching the news all the time. Cause I never feel good when I watch the news, you know, like it's good to be aware, but Me I never, neither. I never feel good after I'm like, well, that's great. You know, we're, we're all doomed. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that content consumption thing, I think it's, it's easy to fall prey to it because, of course, content is literally designed to keep you there. And if it's going to keep you there, it's probably going to make you mad. You know, that's just the way it works. You ha- We have hundreds and there's probably thousands of behavioral scientists behind each social media platform figuring out how to monetize your attention. And I could fall prey to that. You know, I'm I'm mindful of that and still I'll find myself mind mindlessly 
being like, where, how did I end up here? Like five minutes later, you know, or 10 or 30, you know, like I haven't done the thing I was supposed to do. I opened a tab to do something and now I'm reading about this thing. You know, it's, we have to have compassion for ourselves because I don't know that biologically we have, no, we definitely haven't evolved at the speed to handle the technological advances that have occurred in the last 20 years. Mm. Yeah, and how how um, uh, how, like how it's so designed on purpose to keep us there and to play yeah. on our physiological and biological desires and needs and urges. Like those dopamine hits, they come so quick and easy that why would I go anywhere else for them, right? And then the inverse is also true. Like the the negative feelings that I can get from it, uh, like the the fear, the anxiety, the stress that I might have by comparing or doom scrolling. You made a post on your Instagram, which is great. If people don't follow you yet, they should. Create the love is your Instagram handle. And I just want to read it. And in context of this conversation we have, you said, maybe those anxious thoughts you're feeling aren't there to say there's something wrong with you, but maybe those anxious thoughts are there to say there's something wrong with the situation or situations you are putting yourself in. Maybe those anxious thoughts are actually there to serve you. So when we talk about, you know, we're getting caught up in in the scrolling or in a relationship or in a situation and we're feeling anxious, we often think, oh, shoot, there's something wrong with me. I have this feeling. But I love that you're illuminating that maybe it's something different. Can you just elaborate on that? I thought that was a really, really powerful post. Yeah, I subscribe to Hillary Jacobs Handel's work on the power of emotion and what happens when we block it. She has a book called Why It's Not Always Depression, which is a fantastic book. And in it, she talks about how anxiety is a symptom. It's an inhibitory emotion that we get when we are not expressing or feeling one of our core emotions. And she has six core emotions that she talks about. So when I think about something like anxiety coming up, let's say in a relational circumstance, and generally, let's just in the context, it's usually like someone dating an unavailable person or someone who doesn't want what they want or someone who's uh, they're in a friends with benefits with, but they actually want a relationship with like that anxiety is coming up because they're not safe. They're not psychologically safe. And what happens with most people who tend to chase unavailable people is their identity is they're not, there's a deep belief that they're not worthy, that they're not enough, that they spend their lives fighting for someone to choose them, fighting for availability, fighting to finally be important enough that someone stops running from love. And the irony is in chasing someone who's running from love, you're actually running from love yourself. That's the sort of cosmic joke, I suppose. It's not funny though when you're in it. But the the anxiety is coming up because there is that deep belief that I'm not worthy. And the choosing someone who's unavailable just reinforces that belief. So we live in a perpetual state usually that we are familiar with from childhood. But if we just expressed a no, that's not okay. I actually don't want the same thing as you. This is what I want. This circumstance doesn't work. You texting someone else or cheating or lying or blah, 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 isn't good for me. I'm done. If we were to do that, it is highly likely our anxiety would dissipate because we're actually expressing. Anger is a really important emotion because it draws lines. It reclaims self. It it says no more. And so we need access to it. The... um the person who chases that inherent belief of not enoughness gets healed by actually claiming enoughness, by saying, if I mattered to me, what would I do? Not if I mattered to you. And that's why I was saying the 
we tend to look at the environment and think what's wrong with me that this environment is occurring as opposed to what's wrong with the environment that I'm feeling this way. And especially because we've been socialized to believe that any feeling other than happiness means there's something wrong with us. Look at the messages we send about mental health. What's wrong with you that you're depressed? Um, Gabor Mate's new book, The Myth of Normal, I think does a beautiful job of explaining how all these are just symptoms of a, of a profoundly broken culture. And the auto, we talked about it at the beginning, the autoimmune, all the things that are occurring are saying, there's some fucking things that aren't working here. And we need to do something about it, as opposed to like, just keep doing the same shit and thinking everything's going to change. It's not going to. When, when kind of thinking about that anxiety, um, I do agree. I feel like we're in this society that kind of chases happiness and puts it on a platform when they're kind of all of the emotions that we can experience have purpose and, and you can't really fully feel one without the other. Um, but if someone is, is stuck in kind of an anxious rut and aren't able to get it back to that self-love, self-compassion, I am enough, is there kind of like a first step that you can suggest somebody takes to kind of break out of that? Well, I think being very clear as to what is the actual reality of your feeling state. So being able to say, I have immense amounts of anxiety. Okay, I'd like to solve that. I would generally, I mean, it's probably a longer process, but I would actually get someone to write out what are the things that feel heavy for them in their lives? What are the things that take energy from them? Who are the people? What are the circumstances? In order to change, you have to get really, really real about what is true. And if we can't actually hold on to the truth, we can't change anything because we can't accept things as they are. You know, I said before, you have to take responsibility for the role you play in choosing these things. But you first have to recognize it's even happening. The pathway out, you know, because it would be natural for so many people to experience anxiety in the last three years. There's a lot of unexpressed things. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's so many things that are going on. And there's a lot of relationships that feel we feel tension with. We probably have unexpressed things about what's occurred. We probably have a lot of things we want to say. And being able to first claim how you feel and then what you would like to change. For me, like being able to draw boundaries around the things that feel heavy for you, like that is massive. When I would do an exercise with people where you just, just clear, what are you done doing in your life? What are you done accepting? It is amazing to me the list that people come up with. Because they've agreed to living these lives with a ton of shit they don't even want. I remember working with this woman once. She's so funny. She was incredible. And I remember she, I said to her once, she went on this date with this guy. And she said, I don't really want to go on another date with him. And I was like, well, then don't. And she's like, I don't have to go on another date with him? And I was like, no. Oh, my God, no. Absolutely not. But somewhere along the line, she was conditioned to please men and make sure she didn't hurt their feelings and all the things. And she felt so free with such a simple thing. And it's profound to think you don't have to do things you don't want to do. It's, it's crazy to think that that's actually a reality we have to come to. 
because we are taught growing up to do the thing that keeps the peace, to make sure we do believe in the things our religion teaches us, make sure that we believe what our family believes, make sure we keep the peace, make sure we blah, 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 blah. And it is an act of becoming an adult to be willing to embrace and express the things that truly matter to you in the face of what matters to someone else. In healthy adult relationships, you and I can believe different things and still love each other. In relationships that are still based on control, that can't exist. Your belief, your thought, your feeling might threaten my belief, my thought, my feeling. And that means we're still exist. We're not liberated. We're still existing in a codependent dynamic. So how do we establish those boundaries in those, those relationships, whether they're with ourselves, with habits, with others? How do we explore our kind of our shadow areas like shame and vulnerability um, while understanding that boundaries do exist and we are responsible for setting those boundaries? Well, boundaries are fascinating because we usually think about boundaries being um, about keeping behavior out right? Like stopping disrespectful behavior, that kind of stuff. But they're also about containing us, containing our thoughts, feelings, and beliefs too. And when people learn that, they're like, wait, what? I got to hold on to my stuff too? Uh, I remember when I started studying that, I was like, oh shit, I've been projecting. I mean, I have a podcast about my feelings and my beliefs and my opinions. So, hey, you get to choose to listen or not. The being able to process the guilt that usually comes up with expressing a boundary is important. Guilt is usually the emotion that makes us collapse the boundary, usually because guilt, which was probably used relationally, like, oh, I don't matter to you, you're so selfish now, all the kind of ways that people use moves to when we try to implement a boundary, they use shame or guilt. So we can actually learn to increase our capacity to hold guilt. It's usually because we get frenetic with the energy of a feeling we don't know the value of yet. We don't know how to hold it. So to get rid of it, we collapse the boundary. It's like if I'm pursuing someone and they haven't messaged me back, I don't know how to hold the uncertainty, so I message them again. But you can actually learn how to hold the energy, and that requires nervous system regulation, right? That only comes through doing it. That's the trick of it. So with boundaries... I usually just, to simply put them in different areas, it would be like your physical boundaries, like your body, how you like to be touched, how you like to touch, um, emotional, how you feel, how someone feels. Um, it could be spiritual, what I believe, what you believe. Um, trying to think of the other ones. I don't have them off the top of my head. But anyways, you go through each category of, like I said, what feels heavy, what feels light. And you can simply ask yourself, what would this relationship need to look like in order for it to feel not heavy, in order to, for it to feel positive? The answer might be no relationship. And you have to be ready for that. If you don't actually act on the information you get, it will likely present as anxiety. And it's because we're not listening. You know, and I think some of the first things you got to do is, uh, you know, I remember when I moved to Vancouver. Someone said to me, you're running from your problems. And I was like, yep. <laughs> like Sometimes you got to go to a different place to feel what it's like to not be in relationship with the things you've lived a life in relationship with. So you can reestablish a self absent of all the agreements you've made with other people about who you are. Mm, yeah. It's like uh, the the old joke of like, oh, go to Europe to find yourself. And, you know, people do this or whatever. But it, 
there's merit to it. Like we can dismiss it as, you know, this person who's trying to run from their problems. And that might be partially true. But at the same time, sometimes you need time and space away to discover who you are and discover your relationship to those things or people that maybe were problems. Um, and we've, we see that in all kinds of traditions, right? Like uh, indigenous cultures have like the spirit or vision quest where it's like, tied to the rite of passage becoming for men, like becoming from a, a boy to a man. But it is that sense of removal from community, from relationship to really get, you know, a sense of who you are in order to re-emerge as kind of this new version of yourself, right? That's done, hopefully, some work and you can return and, and engage with those things in a new and healthier way. And they're not just old problems and old patterns that repeat themselves in a new area code or zip code. But in fact, you know, you can you can do the work, right? Of, of I just brought my dysfunction to Greece. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> yeah, it's better weather. <laughs> it is interesting, though, when you start to bring your patterns to other places where you're not in them, and then you get a reflection of what they are. And especially if you've lived in the same place your whole life, often going somewhere else allows you to figure out, you know, who you are separate from the needs and expectations of your community, your family. Um, and running from your problems is often actually good at first. Do confront them eventually, but it is good at first because you separate yourself from the pattern so you can explore it and change it. Vision quests, I mean, that's such a really good point. I think Western cultures are absent completely of rites of passage, and I think for men, that's especially challenging. For women, there is something inherent about menstruating that moves you from being a, a girl to a woman but for boys there's nothing like that and you know in some tribes they like send you out into the forest and you go survive ideally and if you do you're a man and if you don't i guess you're lunch but like the that type of um artificial initiation I think is so important and i think missing in our culture in so many ways like i think of the things that actually initiated me into being a man and becoming one and continuing to it would have been so nice to have a contained initiation rather than one that i had to wait for from life yeah yeah it was actually something that i was really interested in and pursued it as uh, as part of a master's uh, capstone project was asking specifically oh, young men cool. like what was your what was the moment when you became a man and, mm. you know, speaking anecdotally with buddies or, you know, people that I played sports with or just knew. And it was fascinating to me out of all the guys that I spoke with, none of them had an answer. And really? None so of them had a sure had answer. Like a moment. Nope. There wasn't one. There was, a, you know, a couple things were like, well, I don't know, like graduation, I get like moving out, <laughs> getting laid for the first time. Like, so, <laughs> you know, some of these things were more fickle yeah. than others, but nobody that I asked had a pinpointed answer saying this was the moment. And then, so the next mm -hmm. layer is like, okay, so how does this supposed to happen? And coming back to, you know, what you're, what you're a specialist in is connection and relationship. And, and ultimately I would say like community is that there was no, there was no community of elders to mm -hmm. say, you know, or people above you it doesn't have to be older, but people who had that position of, of loving authority in your life to say, okay, now, now after these things, after this ritual, after this whatever thing that you've gone through, now you have like entered the realm of, of masculinity or manhood or whatever we might say, becoming a man, right? Um, 
And that because we don't have these important male-to-male relationships, because some of us don't have the best relationships with our fathers, Mm -hmm. and we might not have any other significant male influence in our life. And it could be the same for for women as well, that they have a connection with their mother, and that may or may not be great. And there may or may not be other important women in their life that can speak into it and invest in them and help nurture them and raise them up. And I think that that's part of a huge part of our human connection that's that's lacking and i would say manifests itself into what we often see is like the culture of toxic masculinity Agreed. or or men um who don't know how to be in relationship with another person because they don't know how to be in relationship with themselves yeah no one's modeled it for them it's i mean that is so common today one absent fathers of course as you're saying and then you know, when we went, when we go through initiations in those contained spaces, like in tribes, when you exit the initiation, you're now responsible for the village. Well, when you turn 18, you can vote, you can drink, depending where you live. You can do lots of things, but you can't, like, you don't, I didn't think I'm now responsible for my family or my village. That I think is actually really important you know, and it's, yeah, what a cool capstone project to do, to see just the consistent lack of clarity of like the before and after. Did you have a moment where you kind of recognized yourself transitioning from boyhood to manhood? Yeah, it was probably in my, I was thinking about that as you guys were talking, just like, what was mine? Um, it seems like it's been an ongoing process but I would say that the first one was when I ended a relationship in my late 20s and it was the first time I really thought about how did I get here? How, how, why, why do I do what I do? I'd never really been self-reflective like that. Um, and then I'd say that the, the real transition came um, in the time Kylie and I broke up and then since got back together but when we broke up uh that felt like a real completion of processing all the grief from early relationships that i didn't know how to hold that society hadn't modeled how to be with grief how to be a man and and be with grief like you either had to be able to be with grief and give up masculinity or be masculine and not experience sadness and so i was able to be with both and that that I think was a major initiation for that. And you were talking about elders. I think one of the true sort of um, faults of our culture today is the rejection of aging. And I think, it, you know, it's for many reasons, including pressure from men, it's especially prevalent with women. Um, and I recognize the responsibility that we play in that. Uh but this rejection of aging and value not being correlated or advancing with age, uh, I think is incredibly sad. You know, uh, Alan Watts has a line where he says, we, we want apples that don't rot and women that don't age. And it's, it's sad because I think if we reject aging, we reject wisdom and we reject our own. And we don't accept the beauty that comes with the years, with the laugh lines. And I, I want to make sure that I'm explicit, that I recognize all the cultural things that shape that. It's, I'm not saying that to induce shame on anyone for their choices to try to preserve youth. Um, 
And I think there's something about aging with vitality that's different. But yeah, I, I think it's a real failure of our times and, and something that is really coming again to a limit. I This desire to try to hack our ways into vitality is we're trying to do with everything. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like circles back to the earlier part of the conversation where we have all of this technology and new innovation and mm-hmm. new, 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 and it's better that we've kind of bought into this idea that anything old is not good. And we've, right. w- whether or not it's been a conscious or subconscious decision, we've looked at age and things that are older as not as important or outdated, right? Version 2.0 is better. The old Windows software doesn't work as well as the new ones. So this person who is senior to me, like, yeah, right. This person who is senior to me, maybe they're not as good. Right. And the the values of our day of, of technology and being, you know, a a digital native and and so to speak, and knowing how to navigate all of these things, you put the iPad in the hands of a grandma for the first time and, and it's awkward and clunky and it's not intuitive for someone who didn't grow up with it. And so therefore we can equate, Oh, you don't really get it. You don't really have Mm. anything to offer because you can't manipulate these things and da 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 da. And and so we conflate, you know, digital uh, literacy with wisdom. And I I feel like that's a that's that's a huge error. Yeah, yeah. That that is wisdom as opposed to the grandma's churning butter being like, you think you know? (laughs) Yeah. You know, even Wi-Fi goes off, I'll be right, right, and and you won't be. (laughs) Exactly. And like how all these technological advances correlate to our food now no, being no more nutritious. Yeah. Aw, odd that the wisdom of the universe is actually more brilliant than the arrogance of man or person. And I think that, uh, man, that, I mean, that's a whole other subject too, because that's, it's all the same problem. Wade Davis is a anthropologist. Yeah. You're familiar with him. Mm-hmm. And he has that line where he says, um, Every culture thinks every other culture is a failure to be them. And we think of the ultimate achievement in human evolution is technology. But other cultures would say we couldn't be further from the earth. And I was like, that, I didn't know, like, I'm 44. So I grew up when there was no iPhones. And I remember the first computer we got. I remember VHS, you know, TVs, you had to get up and change the fucking channel. People would die today doing that. You know, um, but I, I, because I'm probably like, I'm sure you guys are too, some of the last generations who know life before and after technology. And when it becomes normalized that AI is just part of your day or that this, that actually, I don't know. Um, you know, I think people were probably terrified about the fax machine, you know, thinking it was the end of the world. I think it's very different than AI. But I think we're about to embark on a totally different space where people will not know life differently. And I think it will come to a place where we will require coming back to deeper connections, like putting our feet on the ground, like literally on the earth, eating raw milk, you know, all these things that we think are deadly for, I mean, the messaging about fucking fat and cholesterol is all such bullshit now. I like... I can't believe all the lies that have been spun to sell high sugar foods, which created a diabetes epidemic. You know, it's maddening when you know about it. That I mean, that's been one of our curiosities as well. That's been been a fun evolution for ourselves. Like Dean and I both follow a plant based lifestyle, and we were pretty like like. Um, 
you know, righteous about it a couple of years ago. But as, as we've kind of evolved and learned, um, you know, now we believe it's just one small part of being healthy, like, you know, putting your feet on the ground, getting sunlight, um, you know, hydration, all, all of these things, your mitochondria, mm-hmm. like they, they paint a bigger picture. And there's many ways to paint that picture. It doesn't have to be one way versus right. another. Um, and it's funny, like how we talk about technology, like we're trying to create these expensive, fancy technologies to hack our way through putting our feet on the ground. You know, hmm. like we just the need irony, to go, right? We just need to go outside. Can I buy a machine that re- mimics the earth that I yeah. can put my feet on a pad while I'm doing Zoom calls? Yes. It's like we're going to take natural spring water and sell it to you in a plastic bottle. Oh, it's maddening. It's like, wait, what about just going to the spring and getting the water, <laughs> right? Or like, yeah. <laughs> like I, I've been getting spring water and people are like, well, isn't that dangerous? Versus like drinking a distilled water from a plastic bottle uh, full of, you know, who knows what from the plastic. Yeah. Um, from some oh, evil brilliance corporation, you know. Right, it's, it's it's wild. It's uh, it's it's funny what we accept is okay, and what we question as, uh, you know, well that's different. Um, that could be dangerous or scary. You know, but, always done under the guise of for you. Yeah, well, even for you know, your one that safety I've, for your own good. Yeah, yes. right. And even one that I've I've kind of come up against recently is like sunscreen. It has, oh, its, it has its place for sure. Like you don't want to get a sunburn because it's uncomfortable, but it's like uh, Dr. Jack Cruz, we've been kind of learning and, and following some of his stuff. And I was away over spring wild. break. He is wild. He is wild. I was away over I spring like break. I like his stuff. I'm into it too. He's I'm so good. Into it. But Zach sent me a little thing while I was away down in Palm Springs with my family. And he sent me a thing because uh, I was like, oh man, it's toasty down here. And he sent me a post and it was just like, your sunburn is an indication not that you need less sun but that you need more and i was like oh my god it's so true right and it's like don't get don't get a sunburn it's bad for you uv is bad for you but put all these chemicals on your skin to stop that and i mean what about just like get a little bit of appropriate sun and then put a shirt on or sit in the shade right like that vitamin d yeah so i think it is so important that 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 innovation we're innovating our way forward but are we actually are are we actually helping ourselves with all of these things that we're, we're presenting to the world as solutions or the next best thing. And, and I, I'm not, every day I'm increasingly more and more skeptical that uh, another technological innovation is going to be the thing that saves us. I just. Mm. I just yeah, I remember, I, I don't know if you know the, there was sort of a movement on the Christianity side that was saying, I mean, they've had many movements, but there was one saying that, uh, the plan is to sort of destroy the family unit. That's sort of the plan of government. Um, it destabilizes us. And I was like, yeah, okay, let's hear another one. You know, I didn't buy, eh, it's, I don't believe that it's some sort of conspiracy. But I do think that the, the destabilizing of relationship and family unit actually does disrupt community and culture. You know, it's fascinating. I mean, I don't see it through a religious lens. I see it as like, oh, well, I'm not sure that our relationships were necessarily actually safe and stable on a large scale. You know, I think we are in a revolution of what we want from a relationship, but we also are in a revolution of what's possible because we're learning skills that allow our relationships to be a place where we can 
you know, ultimately, let's say that the desire of humans is to self-actualize. I don't know that there's actually a more fast pathway to self-actualization than the limits you hit in relationship because they're the greatest mirror. They're the greatest teacher. And if we can step towards them from that perspective, which I think is a totally, generally totally different perspective than we've ever turned towards them, and then we use the skills to be able to do that the family, the system actually becomes this incredibly powerful place. And then it composes communities that are about, we were talking about initiations. They become communities that are initiated. And then they welcome other people into that place where your mistakes don't become the reason you're exiled from the community. But actually, we sit you down and say, teach us. I mean, that's, that's the last time you heard someone get divorced and people are like, what did you do? <laughs> like, Who's ever done that? Like, tell us. How'd you fuck it up? Like, what's going on? Share your wisdom. Instead, we're like, can't talk to Teresa anymore. Right. She's divorced now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I would say, like, exacerbated in in a religious context, right? Where it's like, now you're out. You're not only out of the relationship, you're out of the group. And that those yeah. those things can be really detrimental. I I always uh, am struck by that. You know, uh, spent some time working as a pastor in in uh, some churches around in Vancouver and stuff wow. here. And yeah, and it was always so curious to me that when a person was in their greatest time of relational need, it would be their their closest community that would sometimes say, "Well, sorry, because of this thing." Isn't that like, wild? I'm like, what? What denomination were the churches you were working with? Uh, I worked with one. I was uh, Mennonite Brethren, oh, so Anabaptist nice. theology. It's like a Protestant community, uh, very like Jesus-centered, uh, kind of like uh, evangelical, but not in the big E American evangelical. Not in way. the uh, traditional way we would think of evangelical. No. no. So, and then another one that was like a smaller kind of very similar kind of denomination here in Canada um, that was very like highly relational around the table, like meals are central and it was beautiful. It's a beautiful expression well, of, of spirituality community. is so important to humans, you know, and it is such a desired connection between all of us. It's like um, Jonathan Haidt says that we all have a God sized hole inside of us. Mm-hmm. He's an atheist and it's interesting because he speaks at so many Christian um, uh, churches because yeah. he said we both believe in the same thing we just believe the purpose is different which I was like that's really cool that mm-hmm. the churches are not threatened by his atheism is that the right term uh, but they actually just appreciate what he has to say yeah that's um, it's interesting I, I, I think that desire for spirit that desire for connection that desire to be connected to the land that desire for family Everyone uh, has it. They're craving it. There's a beautiful image. uh, uh, A gentleman named Richard Rohr. He's a Franciscan, Mm. um, uh, what would you call him? Not a monk. Yeah, a Franciscan monk. monk, He's a monk. He's like a bunch of things, I think. (laughs) He's the best, yeah. And he's so good. He teaches all kinds of uh, brilliant ideas. And this one that really stuck with me was uh, there's this painting, there's this famous painting uh, of the Trinity. So it's a Christian theological kind of premise that God is three in one, but it's this painting by Andrei Rublev and it's the, it's the Trinity and, and you have these kind of uh, interesting images of go- a God figure, a Jesus figure and like a spirit figure and they're all like inter- interconnected and uh, another artist took did his take on it, Scott Erickson, he's a modern artist, a uh, brilliant guy and he did one where it's like three cups and they're filling each other's 
they're all pouring oh, into each other's cool. cups. And I just love it because, you know, again, from, from my background and, and the work that I did, um, I always saw God not as singular, but as community. And mm. Richard Rohr talks about this, mm. that, that when we talk about God, we're actually talking about community. And he has a beautiful book called The Divine Dance. And he says the best way we can understand God is this kind of divine dance, not between two parties, but really between three, which is this spirit, this animating energy. Uh, In the Christian tradition, Jesus, this enfleshed uh, example of God on earth, and then the, the foundational ground of being, this God character, all together, all separate, but all unique, this plurality of like oneness. And I love that, you know, again, kind of in a relational context that if we talk about, you know, God is love is a common trope. Love is community and relationship. And God in this picture is community. Two is a partnership. Three is bigger. It's community. And then that we as humanity are, are, are caught up in that kind of beautiful divine dance as well. I, I just I love that image and it speaks to that desire, that need that you were alluding to for us as humans to connect with one another, with source, with the earth, with all of it. That's all here for us for, for it's our, all the same. Yeah. You know, that that uh willingness, I guess, or openness to believe that it's all connected. That not even openness, the acceptance. Because that means for me to see you as me, which means I'm going to extend compassion to you if I know how to extend compassion to me. And that requires a lot of humility. That also requires the death of ego. And one of my favorite quotes from Richard Rohr, I remember listening to a podcast he did on masculinity with, um, what's her name? On Being, Krista Tippett. Mm, And he says, the journey to find God. On the journey to find God, you'll find yourself. On the journey to find yourself, you'll find God. They are not separate. And I was like, wow. Like I grew up Catholic, so a lot of the a lot of the emotion that was used to manipulate behavior was shame and guilt. And so I rejected the church and I rejected the word God because what I correlated it with was a lack of love, a lack of un, a lack of unconditional love, plenty of conditional love. And I think what we're speaking to is coming back to can I love you indifference? Can I be open to you? If I see you as me, can I learn from you so I will be expanded and better and greater and deeper? It's so beautiful when you actually sit with the simplicity of it, you yeah. know? Yeah, and even the, the, you know, I was just thinking to what you shared earlier about, you know, if you say tree, and I'm like, oh yeah, tree, but we're talking about two very different trees, that right. could be a problem. And I, and I feel that that's the experience that so many people have with God, Mm -hmm. as like a term is that what someone presents as God and oftentimes, and I've seen it and I've, I've experienced it where God is presented as some sort of terrible vindictive monster who is very conditional. Yeah. I say to people, I'm like, if that's what you are rejecting as God, like high five. Yeah. You got to reject that because that (laughs) is not, that is not way to go. Good boundaries. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That is you doing what God would want is because whatever that was, was not the actual foundational presence of, of spirit, God ground, whatever we want to say for it. So to reject that image is actually the best possible thing you could do. Dean gave this great example uh, to myself because I'm always trying to, poke holes in his ideas and 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 also under, <laughs> also understand good friend that's also, a good friend yes, yeah 
poking holes and, and being curious and, and trying to understand, you know, the picture and, and evolve myself and, you know, my, my background. Um, I didn't grow up with any organized religion. I had a mom that was into Reiki and Buddhism, a dad that was brought up Jewish. Um, yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. So I was Way always, I know I was, I was fortunate in that sense. So we we're kind of exploring these things and, and Dean gave this great example that I really loved. He said, kind of imagine four people with their eyes closed, maybe they're all blind, um, and an elephant's in the room, and they're all touching a part of the elephant. One person's, you know, kind of touching the the long nose of the elephant, another person's touching the tail, another person's touching the hoof, um, or the hoof, or whatever. You know, they're all, and they, they're told to describe the elephant. They're all going to describe something completely different, but the truth is, they're all touching the same elephant. And mm. I think that's a good analogy for source or spirit or God or whatever language we want to attach to this, this experience of energy, um, the universe, whatever we want to attach to it, that there's, there's many experiences and stories to describe the same thing, you know? Um, and if we can connect to that and be curious about other people's story and other people's experience, we're going to get back to that relationship, back to that connection, back to that curiosity and, and exploration of what's possible. So uh, I think when we're to try to kind of, you know, wrap up this conversation that I'm so grateful, I think when we're, we're getting to those walls and feeling division or, or anger, you know, take pause and maybe consider that the other person on the other side of the wall is actually touching the same elephant that you are. Mm. And, you know, we just have our eyes closed. We got to open them up to see the truth of the situation. Beautiful. Yeah, I think that's a great invitation to openness, curiosity, and uh, grace. You know, I always think mm. of the word grace, just mm. like to, to live with grace, which is to me at least to live with openness and forgiveness and um, probably to put it in that language of to be with the Holy Spirit but to share it, you know, and that could just be, be at a high vibration. doesn't matter what the language is. It all comes back to the same place, which is, and we be with difference and make it similar. I love that. That's so good. Mark, before we wrap up, um, two things. Uh, we have a closing question that, uh, you know, Dean always kind of drives us through. Yeah. And uh, But before, I just have one short question before Dean kind of closes things out. We got, we got the love man on the podcast, so I would love to just hear your definition of love, you know, from, from mm. you, from Mark Rose. I think... It speaks so much to everything we've talked about, which is that love is ultimately about liberation. Like to me, like to share love with another is for both people to be invited to reach their highest potential, even if that means changing the container of the relationship. So if we're in a romantic relationship and our greatest expression and expansion means ending it, and we can be with that truth. And I think that is something that we're really challenged to try to be in that space. Because to us, we're taught that when relationships end, love ends. Uh, but it doesn't. It's always there. It's just, you know, how do we navigate that with grace and allow people the freedom 
to move through life in the way that they're being asked to or called to. And that allows us to. That was a very long answer to your short question. No, that's it's a short but uh, never-ending question, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it's true. I, I, What's the meaning of life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that yeah. Was, I'll save that one for part two. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, 30 right. seconds or less. Mark, as I kind of pass the, the baton to Dean to close this out, I just wanted to express my gratitude for, for one, this conversation, but two, for the work you do and the space you hold, uh, for being full full of love, for for modeling that vibration in the universe and uh, for leading with curiosity. I think, uh, you know, you... You give me hope, and um, I see a life of possi- possibility versus a life of limits. Thanks to you know following people like yourself. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. For sure, yeah, much appreciated. Uh, you sharing with us and and kind of covering all. I mean, we went all over the place, and I think this yeah, is we, just, def- we been, definitely we definitely it's did. been such a great conversation, and so grateful for for you. And again, yeah, just the work you do and being here with us. Um, Zach and I started this podcast, and you know, when we first started, we didn't really know what we were going to call it, but we just started recording and going on and we love to, to run together. And we were on a run one day and Zach's like, yo, I think I got the name. I was like, okay, let's hear it. He goes, a little more good. And as soon as I heard it, it just like resonated with every bit of my soul. I was like, yes, that's it. Because, you know, that's what we want to do in the world. We, we love that idea of that's what we want to embody and carry with us. But we love to hear from our guests. Like, what is that phrase? Like, what does that conjure up? What does that mean to you? A little more good. I think for me right now, that means coming back to more grace um, for like the last three years have been really hard. They've been really hard. Um, And I think a little more good is about channeling what has been challenging into what can be connective like having conversations like we did dialoguing about the experiences people have had um trying to you know build bridges to one another and i think a little more good is me really ex- being the one who extends the vulnerability first the bridge first the um i think we spend so much of our lives wanting another person to go first and then we end up waiting forever and i think when we could be the one who does that recognizing that someone might not answer the call or the invitation, but that's not a failure of us. That's just a choice to go in a different direction and that's okay. Um, But to not do it because of that fear, as we were talking about, is to not live in our highest expression and integrity. And so a little more good. sounds good. I like that name. It's great. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, that was great. Thanks, brothers. Well, there you go. The connection specialist, Mark Groves, helping us to learn ourselves, our boundaries, our connections, the way we love, the way we fear so that we can be better people, better partners, better friends. Um, So grateful uh, to, to Mark and that conversation and just really like all that he does in the world. It's just so uh, wonderful. So wonderful. All right, let's close it out with one more question, Dean. Okay, let's do it. How are you, Dean Morris, awesome in a relationship? Oh, I should ask Ayla this. But, you should. Uh, well, I'll there would be a whole podcast on its own. <laughs> I don't know if we have time for that in just an outro. <laughs> How am I awesome in a relationship? That's a good one. I'm stumped. 
<laughs> no, I think that uh, I think that I could be a lot of fun. I think that I'm like pretty much down for a good time all the time. And I also like to take care of the little things, you know, like uh, I like I take great pleasure in making Ayla her coffee every morning. And that's like something that's important to me that I do it, that, you know, when she comes downstairs for work, like her coffee's like just hot and ready for her. Um, so I think it's like some some attention to detail and, and ready for a good time anytime. There you go. So if you're uh, looking to have a relationship with Dean, whether, uh, you know, a friendship or or less than that, because he's <laughs> taken folks. A friendship or less. <laughs> <laughs> he will bring the fun and make you coffee. There you go. Yeah, decaf, mushroom coffee, whatever you want in there. I always sneak a little few things in there too for her just to keep her health on point, you know? There you go. So, right on. All right, friends, thank you for, for tracking with us and tuning into this this week's episode. Uh, if you enjoyed uh, what we shared this week, we are always grateful for any reviews, likes, follows, whether that is on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and follows and likes help us in a major way. Uh, allowing us to share our message to a greater audience. So thank you. Thank you for all of you that have left reviews and thank you in advance for those of you that haven't, but uh, might, uh, you know, take this as a call of action and, and leave us, uh, you know, up to a five-star review or like or follow. So big love to all of you. Um, create the love in your life and follow Mark Groves uh, so that you can kind of, use some of his templates and some of his teachings to create love for yourself and, and for the community you surround yourself with. Lovely. And until next week, friends, stay good. Peace.